Hey, good morning. Happy Easter Upper Room and anybody else joining us today. Uh, my name is Chris. It is, it's great to have you with me today. It's good to see your smiling faces, I guess. I don't know. I hope you're smiling today. Uh, to, today we're going to finish up our three-part series, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. So, I'd like to begin today by memorizing together a verse from Psalms, Psalms 33:22. Now, I want you to say it with me. Uh, you can just talk right to your computer or phone screen. You won't look weird at all. Uh, perfectly normal behavior. Okay, so, so Psalm 33:22 says this. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Okay, okay now I'm going to put it on the screen. I want you to read it with me. Are you ready? <clears throat> okay, all together. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. All right, this time with a little bit of enthusiasm. That was kind of quiet. Here we go. <clears throat> Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. All right, good. I'm going to take it off the screen and see how we're doing. I'll say it and you can mumble along with me. Ready? <clears throat> Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Okay, all by yourself. Go. Very good. So today I want to talk a little bit this Easter about hope. And specifically I want to talk about a, a conflict or friction that all of us have faced, are facing, or, or will face. And if you've ever felt like, man, this is just seems hopeless. If you've ever found yourself saying, why try? Why apply myself? Why even show up? What's the point? What's the point of loving people when they treat you that way? What's the point of committing when people's commitments don't mean anything? Uh, what's the point of investing in them when they don't seem to want to invest in you? Uh, what's the point of having hope when everything is such a mess? I mean, if you've ever found yourself saying, what's the point? What's the use? Uh, you have asked the inevitable question that I think everybody will ask. How do you maintain hope in a world that seems to be broken? Aren't you glad you tuned into this encouraging Easter message? We'll get to the good part, but to start... I want to kind of give you a working definition of hope, and this is sort of a combination of several different definitions I stole from different people. But essentially, the definition of hope is uh, the person or the thing, the person or thing in which your expectations are centered. So the persons or person uh, or thing or things in which your expectations for the future are centered. Your hope is in that relationship. Your hope is in that company. Uh, your hope is in this profession. Your hope is in your abilities, your hope is in your looks, whatever it is. You have centered your expectations in something. Hope is a little bit like a ladder that we lean against a wall. The wall is the thing that you think is going to support you. And what is interesting is, <clears throat> none of us are ever conscious of this process, but when, <clears throat> when you're born, you automatically leaned your ladder of hope onto your parents. Your hope for your future had everything to do with your parents' uh, willingness or ability to care for you. As you got older, you moved your ladder from, from someone else to you, to your ability to take care of yourself, your ability to connect, uh, your ability to do well in school, your ability to attract attention, your ability to marry somebody that had promise, whatever it might be. But all of us, at different stages of life, we make a decision to lean the ladder onto something that we think will support our hopes and dreams for the future. You have placed your hopes in something. Everybody does. Your ladder is leaning against a wall somewhere. But because usually we aren't aware of it, we go through life and the only time we ever think about hope is when we, be, we begin to feel hopeless. 
And the sense of hopelessness or, or despair or helplessness is simply that feeling that the thing I have leaned my ladder against isn't coming through for me. It's that thing that I've centered my expectations on and it's not meeting up to my expectations. It's only when the thing that we leaned our ladder against doesn't come through for us do we feel the conflict of how do I remain hopeful in the middle of all this stuff. Now, because you are watching a video of a preacher talking about Easter, it will come as no surprise when I say, when you open the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we are continually instructed to place our hope in God, to lean our ladder of hope into our relationship with Him. Now, especially in the United States of America, we have a real hard time with the idea of putting our hope in the Lord. <clears throat> and the reason we do is because we are we are just the best in the world at creating walls that hold up pretty well. Be because we believe, and understandably so, that if we uh, put our hope in things that we control, things we create, things we've been told we should put our hope in, that the latter will hold. Because usually it does pretty well. And then if you're a Christian, you can say, Dear God, please don't let my ladder fall. God, I think I have found a solid place to lean my ladder, and I want you to help me out. But God says through Scripture and through, really through wise people, if you start asking those around you who are older and wiser and have lived long enough, they will tell you, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how careful you are. I don't care how connected you are. I don't care what you own, who you know. The truth is, at some point in life, you will realize that we live in a broken world. And you can try, and you can be careful, and you can plan, and you can invest well, and you can get a great education. But at some point in your life, you will begin to recognize that nothing is secure in this world. And I really think that this is what this virus and all this fallout is showing a lot of people. That what they put their hope in can be shaken. And so God says to us, hey, you got to do all this stuff, right? Work, invest, get an education, all this stuff. But don't put your hope there. Now today I want to take us through a few really confusing verses. Okay, they're in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. And uh, the teacher side of me would like to pick through each of these verses, uh, but we'd be here for like two and a half hours, and you wouldn't know the point of the sermon by the time you woke up. So I'm not going to do that, uh, but we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 if you have your Bible. And we'll put, put all the verses on the screen. <clears throat> and in Romans chapter 8, Paul explains where our hope should be. And that, that part will come as no surprise. But also, very importantly, Paul explains the futility of us putting our hope in our ability to control or predict the future. I've got to warn you, it starts with some bad news, but at the end he comes around and he says, this is why it's so important for us to put our hope in the Lord. And I'm going to kind of skip through these verses. Uh, I'm going to tell you that up front. I would encourage you to uh, go read back through these verses on your own. Uh, fill in the gaps where I skip some verses, because this is this is so relevant to where we are as a culture and what and what's going on in our world. Okay, so we'll kind of start in Romans eight verse twenty, and here's here's the deal. He goes back and he talks about uh, he talks about an event in the book of Genesis that's typically referred to as the fall. It's the it's a story about when sin entered the world, and when we think about sin, we usually think about an activity, something you do. But the Bible views sin, one view of sin, is a disease that's toxic and fatal. And the Bible teaches that when sin entered the world, it entered the world as a fatal disease that impacted everything. 
relationships, creation, uh, the relationships between people and creation, the animal kingdom, the weather, everything. That everything in the world was impacted by sin, even, even nature. Everything comes under the polluting, corrupting influence of sin. That's why nature, as we, we now find it, isn't the same nature as God intended it to be. You can still see the glory of God in aspects of nature and the wonders of the universe, but if you look closely at nature, you see there's just a lot of violence. It's red in tooth and claw, as Tennyson said. And that was not part of God's ideal. Sin is a disease that has infiltrated the entire creation as fatal, which means according to Genesis, everything living eventually dies. If you notice that? Everything living eventually dies. You say, well, that's just a circle of life. I've, you know, I've seen the Lion King and all that. That's a view, but it isn't God's ideal. The scripture teaches that the reason everything in the world dies is because sin has polluted and corrupted everything. Now let me read you the verse, uh, verses Rom- verse Romans 8, verse 20. He says, For the creation was subjected to frustration. That means whenever you're frustrated, it's because of sin. The reason this world can be so frustrating, why won't those kids, why won't my boss, why can't people see the world the way I see it? I'm so frustrated. Paul says, Welcome to the world. If you'll remember this, this will help you understand your experiences in life. That when sin entered the world, it touched everything. It's going to impact everything. It's going to corrupt everything. Paul says that creation was subjected to frustration. That sin's going to run its course in the world. The middle of verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration in hope, there's our word, that the creation itself will be, future tense, future tense liberated from its bondage to decay. That means everything in this world is decaying. We know that to be the case. When you reach a certain age, every time you look in the mirror, you go, oh no. That's the bondage to decay. And it's not very encouraging, but this is the case he's building. Everything is decaying, including our relationships, including our wealth. Everything ultimately has the smell of decay. Now, because we're Americans, we think, by golly, I'm not going to decay. Man, I'm going to get educated. I got good genes. People think I look young for my age. I'm going to study hard, and I'm going to be careful. And yes, we should work at it. You should take vitamins uh, and eat what your mama tells you. Work hard against it. But at the end of the day, we are in bondage to decay. Paul says, and you know this from experience, when sin entered the world, it messed up every single thing. But here's the thing. The reason we lean our ladder up against the wrong wall is because we don't really believe that. We believe we can beat the odds. You say, Chris, I hope this is going somewhere happy this Easter. We're going to get to happy in a minute. But I think we have to understand the bad news to fully appreciate the good news. There's no way to beat the odds. The creation, which is all of us, is in bondage to decay. And yes, we have good times and uh, happy birthdays and great vacations. And yes, there is love and fun and there is joy. But the momentum is towards decay. And we are in bondage to that kind of frustration. In verses 22 and 23 it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul saying that this frustration creates in us a longing for something better. It creates in us a desire to look beyond this life. To say, is there a world where there is a happily ever after? It forces us to look outside of this life. Verse 24. For in this hope, 
this hope that one day we won't always be in the bondage to decay. For in this hope, we were saved. He says, that, he says that when you became a follower of Jesus, you became linked to a bigger, better story that goes beyond this life. That's the hope we were saved to. And then verse 25, and this is kind of the transition point. But if we hope for, that is, there, there, there's got to be more, be something more. It's got to be a place where sin, sorrow, and death is erased. There's got to be a place where all the effects of sin are done away with. 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it. And then he has this word, patiently. You know what that means? That our hope is not in this world. But, he says, Christian, there is hope. Christian, you have something to look forward to. Christian, you have something to wait for patiently. Then in verse 26 through 30, I'm going to skip through these, but in 26 through 30, he says this. He says, God understands your frustration. God understands your disappointment. God understands that your ladder falls every once in a while. God understands that sometimes you just kind of groan on the inside. And he says that God so understands that, that his spirit prays for us with words that can't even be uttered, with groanings, it says. And if you've ever hit rock bottom in terms of hopelessness, God says, I understand that. I understand that sense of isolation. I understand that. Then he turns a corner. Skipping down to verse 31, he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? Check this out. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, He did not, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The point being, as you center your expectations, your hope in the love of your Heavenly Father, he says that that is where hope does not disappoint. Skip down to verse 38, the beginning. Check this out. Now this is Paul, you know, who's been stoned with stones. He has been in prison. He's been left for dead. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. I mean, this is the guy that has experienced the worst that the first century had to offer as a Christian. He says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else, which you can fill in the blank, neither divorce, abandonment, pandemic, isolation, job loss, sickness, nor anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, if you want to put your hope in something secure, if you want to put your hope in something that won't disappoint, he says you've got to move your ladder. If you want to maintain hope in a broken world, he says you've got to move your ladder and lean it against your Heavenly Father. For only there will you find enduring hope. Now what does that mean in the meantime? It means that, yeah, you do your best. You've, you live out kingdom values in the world means you love like crazy, but when you don't get loved back, you don't lose hope because your hope wasn't here to begin with. It means you serve like crazy, and when no one serves you back, you don't lose hope because your hope wasn't here to begin with. It means you forgive like crazy. When people don't forgive you back, you don't lose hope because you never placed your hope there anyway. Do you plan? Of course you plan. Do you have ambition? Of course you have ambition. Do you use your talents and your skills? Of course. Do you build things? Do you pursue progress? <clears throat> do you save? Do you love? Do you engage culture? Do you engage the world? Yes, you do all that. But do you place your hope in your hard work? Do you place your hope in the benefits of your ambition and of your discipline? 
Do you place your hope in your education? Do you place your hope in all those things? He says, no. You love people like crazy. You do your best. You use your God-given talents and skills to accomplish everything you can. But at the end of the day, you say, well, my hope is in my Heavenly Father. That's where I've leaned my ladder. That's where I've placed my hope. It means you go to bed at night and you say, God, I thank you that this was an awesome day. It was like a perfect day. But God, still my hope is in you. And where you go to bed at night and you say, God, this was a terrible day. I'm so disappointed. But my hope is in you. I place my hope in, in your love for me. And here's the big idea. When we loosen our grip from around our plans and our treasure and our ambition, our plans and our treasure and our ambition loosen their grips from around our hearts. And then we are able to transfer our hope to the only person that can sustain our hope through good and difficult times. God's unfailing love. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. This is the love demonstrated when Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, which means he defeated the disease of sin and death. He's the only one to ever do that. So we can say, may your unfailing, not going anywhere, always going to be their love. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. That is the message of Easter. The only way to maintain hope in a broken world is to place your love in the unfailing love of God for you. He says only when you place your hope in the unfailing love of God, which cannot be broken, regardless of economy, regardless of viruses, regardless of what other people do to you, the only way to maintain hope in a broken world is by placing your hope in the unfailing love of God. John 3.16 talks about the love of God. You probably know the verse. For God so loved the world. And if you write or highlight things in your Bible, I would encourage you to uh, underline, highlight, or circle the word so there. It's a great word. For God so loved the world. As in, it wasn't a little bit of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son. What you have here is the love of God initiating toward us. For God so loved the world. God in his initiating love leaned toward us, not away from us. He is not angry at us. He's not frustrated with us. He's not waiting for us to get our act together before he loves us. We have such a hard time believing that. <clears throat> the irony is the most consistent accusation made against Christ in the Bible is that he loved the people that were just messes. And it wasn't just his teaching that said, come to me, you sinners. It was his life that said, Zacchaeus, you drunk little thief, get down. I'm eating at your house. This is Christ in the Bible. I mean, the woman of ill repute walks into the room, begins to weep on his feet and wash him. And the crowd, including his own disciples, said, if he only knew who that woman was. And what was Jesus' response? Love, unfailing love. He said, what she's doing is beautiful. So beautiful that whenever the gospel is preached, they're going to tell her story. You fellas get to be the dum-dums in the background of the story. Congratulations. Doesn't say that exactly, but I bet the disciples would have loved to just get a redo on that one. You've got Jesus who says, okay, so you're broken, you're hurting, you're screwed up. I'm coming toward you with love and help. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to meet us where we are, right in the middle of our junk, to be the righteousness we would need. Because our righteousness, you at your best, is never going to be good enough to save yourself. Ever. That's why God in his great love came to the rescue. In fact, John 3.17 is going to say, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christ has not come to condemn, but rather to remove from us condemnation. 
Now, how does he do that? God so loves the world that he gives his one and only son. He comes. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, and he lives a perfect, righteous life that you and I, by the grace of God, are given as a gift. Jesus' life is counted as ours. So that when God looks at us, he actually sees the righteousness of Jesus. Then the crucifixion of Jesus, Good Friday, is the moment when all our sin is put on Christ and he absorbs it fully and dies for it. But if Jesus dies on the cross but isn't resurrected, how do we know our sin is paid for? How do we know it just wasn't one more casualty of the disease of sin and death, of the fall? If Jesus dies on the cross but isn't raised from the dead, how do we know sin has been defeated? We don't without the resurrection. The resurrection stands for us as believers as the center of our faith, as proof of completion, the receipt. When something's paid for, you get a receipt as proof, right? The resurrection is a receipt that our salvation has been paid for, that Christ overcame the disease of sin and death. And there are a lot of people who don't believe that you can, you know, maybe you believe you can never be free from the sins of your past, never be free from your failures, never be free from your inadequacies. Maybe you've been taught that, or you're teaching yourself that, or both. But these are not things you can ever put behind you. They are not things that you're ever going to be able to really live down. God says, no. On the cross, Jesus paid, and I have given you the receipt, the resurrection. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, God stamped paid in full across the pages of history. God said, this payment is sufficient. You never have to pay for these things again, never. Therefore, our confidence is in God alone. And we can say, let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Our hope is that he has made a way for us to be reconciled, that he loves us, that he is for us, that our eternity is secure, that we have everlasting life. And it's my prayer for you and for all of us as we continue to face uncertain times in an uncertain economy. My prayer is, as the walls start shaking and as the ladder starts shaking, as everything that can be shaken is shaken, we would be reminded that we weren't supposed to put our hope there anyway. And hopefully things get better. Hopefully things turn around. Hopefully we'll be part of the solution. But in spite of what happens here, our hope, our hope can remain strong because we have been invited to place our hope in God's unfailing love for us. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, that is so much easier to talk about than to do. And Father, I pray for the, the man or the woman who are finding out that the wall against which they lean their ladder of hope is no more. Uh, whatever it is, Father, I pray that in this season of free fall that they would find the courage to place their hope in you. And that they would find the joy and they would find peace and they would find the opportunity to put behind them their anxiety and to trust in you. Because your unfailing love has been proven by your death and resurrection. Father, even as you shower over us your unfailing love, we choose to place our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Easter, Upper Room.